Dear Old State is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Penn State football has two games left against at Ohio State and at home against Rutgers. Not only if you need tickets for the Rutgers game, but if you're planning a road trip to Columbus, uh, tickets are going fast, of course, for one of the most anticipated games of the year. But Game Time does have tickets available for Penn State's trip to the Horseshoe. And if you're looking to go to Penn State's uh, season finale at home against Rutgers, tickets are more readily available for the Rutgers game at home than the trip to Ohio State. So check that out. Tickets for Penn State basketball and Penn State hockey also available on Game Time. GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. It is officially Ohio State week, the pretty much the biggest week of the season. Every possible goal still ahead for Penn State, including the Big Ten East, the Big Ten title, the college football playoff. It's all still out there. But is Penn State capable of beating Ohio State? First, we have to talk about Indiana. I am Penn St- I am college football editor Matt Brown, joined by athletic Penn State writer Audrey Snyder. And Audrey, the conversation has quickly turned from Indiana to Ohio State, it seems. My, my. Yes, Ohio State, or I'm sorry, not Ohio State. Indiana was put to bed in a hurry Saturday afternoon after the game, which was uh, closer than probably most of us thought after that game ended. Uh, questions in the media room quickly turned to the Buckeyes. A uh, big part of that was because Micah Parsons was made available. And of <laughs> course, you can't think about Penn State, Ohio State, and not think about Micah Parsons. So, Micah had some interesting things to say about the matchup, about his relationship with Justin Fields, his relationship with Chase Young and J.K. Dobbins. Um, Really interesting, insightful stuff. He was watching the Chase Young uh, availability and suspension like the rest of us, keeping close tabs on it. So always refreshing when Micah's in the media room and Matt. He kind of set the tone for the week, and I'm pulling up the quote now. I wrote about it. After the game on The Athletic, Micah Parsons said... Check it out. Upon further review, always some of the most detailed coverage of Penn State football you can find. For non-subscribers, please subscribe to The Athletic. Yes, there it is. The the Monday morning review is the the exhaustive thing. And of course, we started by looking ahead with Ohio State with that. But we did get into the game a good bit, and we will hear today on the show too. But Parsons said afterward... I think about this coming Saturday, I think this is the opportunity for me and all all the other 10 guys on defense to really, you know, prove that we belong and prove that we can be the best team in the Big Ten. He added that he still keeps in contact with Justin Fields. They, of course, were in the same recruiting class. And I asked Micah about Fields, and he goes, you know, we almost went to the same school twice, of obviously Penn State and Georgia. I guess really you look at it now, it could have ended up the same place three times with the yeah. way things played out. <laughs> but Micah said, I told people already, this is the Big Ten Championship right here next Saturday. This is going to make or break either one of our seasons. This is it right now. You know, we got to capitalize immediately. So they well, turned the page wrong. pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's not wrong and he's hit, you know kind of reading everybody else's mind but hey it, the game was over you can think about going one and oh the next week right yeah totally <laughs> fair i mean it was you know the game was over i felt like man and we talked about it after the game this was like so many of the other penn state games this year where yes especially as of late the defense comes out looks pretty bad against the pass gets torched early then gets a little bit better back and forth game Obviously, the big thing to keep an eye on this week is going to be the availability of K.J. Hamler after he got shaken up on a kick return late in the first quarter and did not return to the field or even to the sideline after that. So his availability now for the week comes into question. And, uh, I mean, it was just one of those Penn State offense goes and stalls and Clifford doesn't have his top receiver. The other receivers combined for a two-catch performance after K.J. Hamler left, so still not getting the production that they want out of that receiving core, but they ran the ball really well. Journey Brown again got the start. Another back-to-back 100-yard game for him, so they ran the ball effectively. Clifford was really good with his legs. That made the difference. Of course, the 18-play, 9-minute and 1-second, 75-yard touchdown drive. Big 10 football. That was, man. You know, and that's something, and we talked about it here earlier, I believe. It was in the uh, Iowa game where Penn State out Iowa to Iowa, and they were able to control the clock. But this, again, Matt, was one of those long drives. You know, we talk a lot about 4-minute offense. Penn State's talked a lot about 4-minute offense. They haven't been able to execute during James Franklin's time here with that. They've gotten much better at that this year. And, Matt, let's give some praise to the Penn State offensive line. Really, really great game from the guys up front. Yeah, I mean, it was a game where Penn State's secondary struggled again and Indiana made made some plays through the air. It was a game where Penn State struggled to pass the ball because the receiving core was depleted and just struggling with depth. And so what, what did Penn State need to do in the fourth quarter? Ice the game, keep Indiana off the field, go on a long drive, you know, take some pressure off of the receiving core, and that's what they did. It was, as you said, 18 plays, 75 yards, nine minutes. They were up by three. They converted two fourth downs, including the uh, touchdown by Sean Clifford at the goal line to go up by 10, which was pretty important because Indiana kind of went right back down the field then. And, uh, you know, so it's – that's one of the biggest complaints is they haven't been able to line up and play physical football over the past few years. It's how they kind of struggle to put away some games. And just in general, they haven't been the most physical team. They haven't been, you know, it's been a problem with the offensive line. And this year, even it's, I think the offensive line has been better, but they haven't consistently run the football. It's been pretty hit or miss, especially without Noah Kane. He's the guy who's been able to do it. But without Noah Kane, they line up, and it was Journey Brown and Devin Ford mixed in that drive. Will Levis even mixed in on that drive. I was going to say, yeah, the Will Levis and Matt, you know, fourth and one on that same big 18-play drive. They give the ball to Will Levis, and I put a clip of it in the Upon Further Review piece, which is up this morning on The Athletic. I encourage you to check it out. And if you watch the right side of that line, man, they just plow those guys over. And Michael Mennett had another really nice game. And you can watch him in here just absolutely give Levis more than enough room. Uh, I, I think that's one of the things for as much as this offensive line has taken a heck of a lot of heat and criticism the last few years. They've we've seen the depth, and we saw it again. I mean, you see C.J. Thorpe get the start. Mike Miranda comes in, and it's Miranda who was in on the play that I'm pointing out here on the Levis fourth down play. He was in there, physical, gets the job done. The left tackle for that drive was Des Holmes, the backup, you know, the guy who's spelling Rasheed Walker. He was in on that long drive too. So 
again, you're seeing the depth, you're seeing the production, even from some of these backups or co-starters, however you want to think about it. But uh, I think we're going to have some fun talking about the Will Levis package today, Matt. That was a first uh, quarterback-specific package we've seen since Tommy Stevens left and took the Lion package, we thought, with him. Yeah, I have some thoughts. Um, I feel yeah. like last year it just didn't work most of the time. It was just, you know, I think it debuted against the Ohio State game. It was like, what are they doing? This just completely stalled them. Whatever. And then this year, you know, I have... To put it very, very kindly, oh I had boy. severe reservations about the first time that Will Levis appeared on Saturday because we talked about the red zone troubles or inside the 10 troubles against Minnesota. And then here they go from like, what was it, the 9, 10 yard line around? Yeah, it was around the 9, I want And he say. comes in and, and I'm like, well, what is that accomplishing? Like, why not Sean Clifford? It turns out Sean Clifford's a little bit banged up, Franklin said, which didn't stop Clifford from running 10 times for 55 yards. But regardless... I didn't think that made sense. I thought it made – it's an easier – now, of course, they were successful with it, but it was, it's easier to sell on, like, fourth and one. It's like, okay, here's yeah. a 235-pound quarterback. If they're trying to use the quarterback without Noah Kane, I get uh, it. To, to pick up fourth and one, that's not the worst idea. It worked. At the, like, 10-yard line, I, I, I'm i sorry. I'm not so sure about that one. And this was my issue with it. When, when they ran it earlier in the game, you know, they get down to the red zone. My biggest problem with it, and this is what we saw last year, the debate has always been with this Lion package, this two-quarterback package, whatever you want to call it, who do you take off the field to get the extra quarterback on? Who are you taking off? Well, they took Pat Pat Fryermuth off to put Levis on, and to me, that is just ridiculous. I mean, this is your top red zone threat, and you're taking him off the field at that point. Um, Later on in the game, when they did use it successfully, Fryermuth stayed in the game, and I think that's what you need to do because, again, you're keeping them in there. They were running it Especially with, with, with two tight ends. Like, right. Like, to me, that was, wow, clearly you know what's coming now with a run, and you just took you know your, your best threat off of that off the field. That's what I took issue with when they ran it first initially, more so than putting an extra quarterback on was, wow, you just took your tight end off to do that. I thought that was really weird. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, I'm not well, just saying this, Matt, because it didn't work. Because that's that. Let's bring <laughs> yeah, that up we know, too. We know. Because James Franklin, after the game, it was pretty funny. He mentioned a few times. He said the fourth down call uh, during that 18 play drive. You know, down there to, at the goal line, they decide they're going to go for it. And he says, "Well, why was it the right call? Because it worked." Well, no, no, it was the right call. It was the Everybody right call either way. Right Six <laughs> points meant absolutely nothing to you. And if you didn't get it, they'd have to march down the field 99 yes. yards. You you know, you would have been in a worse position had you gone for the field goal and missed it. So that was a clear-cut right call, not just because it worked, because that was the no-brainer call. But Sean Clifford also said afterward, uh, you know, the offense, of course, was lobbying to go for it, as everyone should have been. This is, again, don't, let's not overthink this here. Go win the game. Yeah, go finish yeah, off go the game. That's finish the finish it on your it your terms because your defense has gotten torched by these guys through the air. So why are you going to try to give them the ball back with a, you know, a six-point lead if you go for the field goal? So Clifford said, you know, listen, had we not gone for it, our offense would have been really upset with the coaching staff. You know, we wanted to go out, close out that drive, and they did. And that was, to me, that's something that they have to build off of this week. You have that big drive. You got to keep working on that because that, to me, is one of those things where we saw it earlier this year too. I'm trying to remember what game it was, Matt, where the offense was spitting and sputtering, and then they came out and had a really nice drive uh, late in the game. It was a home game. I should remember this, but 
either way, like that was something that you could find a silver lining in, right? Well, this was one of those things that you got to carry that momentum with you. Um, you know, Indiana comes down and then decides to go for the field goal and then attempt the onside kick, which Jesse Lucetta recovered. Uh, so it definitely got more interesting at the end than it should. Felt have like been. last year. <laughs> yeah, like they, they just can't put Indiana to put Indiana to bed. And a good, I mean, a good Indiana team though. This is what they're built around: throwing the ball, and they had a heck of a lot of success with it in the first quarter, Matt. And that's where I think you have to have some concern about what's transpired here with this defense in the last two weeks. Yeah, you know, I, I do think, yeah, give Indiana credit, they're better than usual. Like, they were ranked last week, and I don't think that was big, that much of a stretch, honestly. It's a pretty good team. You know, they have, they, they're they well coached, they play hard. Uh, they've, they've been the top passing team in the Big Ten. That's even playing two quarterbacks with, uh, Peyton, or with, with Ramsey, who we've, wasn't the starter, but he's been the starter in the past. Then it comes in, he's still an experienced guy, and they had success with him. Um, and Indiana, you know, it's a little, you know they had the a lot of the success was early and then uh, Fillier got knocked out of the game just like Hamler so both the teams were without their top playmaker on the perimeter uh, but Ramsey ended up going 31 of 41 371 yards and a touchdown certainly concerning Tanner Morgan had two incompletions for Minnesota against Penn State and then Peyton Ramsey goes out and completes uh, 31 of 41 averages nine yards per attempt they made some big plays early and then there was the one late definitely concerning I did not expect this. You know, from the Penn State secondary, um, it, it's we maybe we should have seen some warning signs as we said last week. You know, the Pitt game, Kenny Pickett had success. Yep. You know, it's it's good that the Penn State run defense continues to play very well. You know, Indiana averaged two point nine yards per carry, but next week they're going to face oh, Ohio State is fourth in the country in rushing, but obviously Justin Fields has been out of his mind deficient as well with one interception, thirty one touchdowns. So they're about to face the most maybe the most well-rounded offense in the country in Ohio State. So uh, certainly concerning with kind of the coverage breakdowns we've seen with some of the tackling problems on the back end. It's not really been tackling problems in the running game. It's been, you know, after the catch. And you can't – they got to clean up a lot in just a few days here. And the thing to me, Matt, and I think you hit on it there too with the tackling. Um, Boy, it was bad. Uh, And it was bad last week too, and – you know, Penn State looks at it, and James Franklin said afterward, well, you know, we still, we held Indiana to explosive gains on 8, 8% of our plays. Penn State's goal as a defense is 10, 10% or less, so they hit that. But here's the problem. They gave up four chunk plays in the first quarter. Now, you look yes. at it, and you say, well, they only gave up six chunk plays throughout the game. That's fine. But to give up four of them in a first quarter... That's where you can't repeat that against an Ohio State because and also those Indiana's guys are best make you big pay. play guy went out. Right. So, so. <laughs> who knows what it could have been? And the other part too is you know these guys are getting to the ball, they're getting around the ball. You saw Marquise Wilson force a fumble for the second game in a row. A true freshman forced a fumble, but Micah Parsons had a pick that he dropped. John Reed had one that looked like it would have been a pick <laughs> yep. six that he dropped. Those are the kinds of plays that you have to make this week because Justin Fields is not going to give you a lot of opportunities to make interceptions. When they're there, it's it's almost like Penn State is going to have to be damn near perfect is what I think because especially with, with how this defense has looked, I mean, you saw him take some shots at Tariq Castro-Fields and we saw that against Minnesota as well. Some of these plays are just really good balls, not a whole heck of a lot you can do about it. 
But to me, Matt, the fact that the tackling is just, it wasn't an issue earlier this year. You know, it's like all of a sudden, where does this come from? And there was a clip, and I, I can't remember if I linked to it upon further review, but I must have watched it like seven times last night just to say, wow, I mean, what the heck was going on here? I mean, you see Keaton Ellis run all the way across, try to make a tackle, completely whiffs, and this was in like the third or fourth quarter. Then you see John Reed go and try to force the guy out of bounds, and he like dives at his legs and doesn't even make contact with him. And it's it was just one of those moments where they've got to get that short up, and I spent a good bit of time afterward talking with Garrett Taylor, and, I mean, the safeties have not been uh, on the same page there. And one of the quotes that I used in my piece Saturday night was from Taylor. And I thought it was a very interesting and honest assessment coming from the senior safety where he said, we just need to wake up. For whatever reason, we've got to pick the energy up, pick the juice up. This last game and the game before that, I think the energy and the passion might have been lacking a little bit. We've got to figure something out to do to get guys going early. We don't need to keep coming out and getting punched in the mouth for us to wake up. And he added that guys can't be scared to hold each other accountable. Call guys out because that's something we need. Everyone feeds off each other. Uh, If we don't have that and we come out flat again, obviously that's not going to be acceptable. So he said, you know, noon kicks, part of it. I said, well, Garrett, you got another noon kick next week. I mean, if, if if these guys can't get up for Minnesota and you couldn't get up for good Indiana team, something's got to give there. And that's where I think, you know, the leadership maybe says something this week on this defense because, you know, you did see Itor Gross Matos got a sack, but Matt, that was his first sack since the Purdue game on October 5th. I mean, it's been a long, a really long stretch for him. And, you know, you look at the, the playmakers on this defense, the guys that we expected to be making big plays, and Parsons has done that. He's done that all yes. year. Beyond that, I'm not seeing it consistently from everybody else. To me, that's been, I think, the more surprising part of this. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. The first two months of the season, they gave up three points in the first quarter. Like, of all those games, three points total in the first quarter. And now, two weeks in a row, it's 14 points, 14 points for Minnesota and Indiana. And, yeah, as we said, can't can't afford that against Ohio State. Can't afford any mistakes. And maybe they'll come out and play a perfect game. Well, we know that'll happen. It's possible. Like it's, we've been surprised by Penn State Ohio State games before, as we mentioned in 2014, where, you know, Ohio State was the national champion. Penn State was a 500 team, and it took double overtime for Ohio State to win that game. And obviously, 2016, where Ohio State was a massive favorite, and then Penn State's entire program turns around in that game with a comeback. So, it's possible, but there's certainly a lot to clean up. You know, you look at Penn State still leads the country in. yards per carry allowed and run defense 2.2 yards per carry allowed and they've been pretty much across the board they've been great all year yeah. um you know the again you know buffalo had a little bit of early success but overall uh all but three teams have been held under 100 yards indiana had was under three yards per carry so it's just been repeatedly great de- great effort from the front seven against the run and it's, that's absolutely going to be valuable next week because J.K. Dobbins has been fantastic this week, this year. Ohio State runs the ball really, really well. But as you said, it's like Michael Parsons has delivered on the hype, I feel like. I, I think Penn State's best, I guess should say, I guess best three players have been K.J. Hamler, Pat Fryermuth, and Michael Parsons. Yeah, I would agree uh, with that. He leads the team in tackles absolutely. again. He, he's made more plays behind the line of scrimmage. He just flies the ball. He's just so valuable to that defense. But, yeah, they need to get to the quarterback and bring down the quarterback more. I think kind of what I – 
said before the game that Peyton Ramsey was quote a pain in the ass proved true. Yep. We saw things. He just, he's slippery. He's one of those quarterbacks, uh, but you know, Justin Fields is a guy who can move too. So it's going to be, take a lot to get him to the ground. Ohio state's offensive line has played really, really well this year. So it's speed on speed. It's as we Matt. expected, it's the toughest challenge of the year for Penn state's defense. And it comes at a time when they've shown more weakness than expected because they've been, they were very good the first half of the year. And now, they're vulnerable, and yeah, and I go back to Matt to early in the game last week. It was so chaotic. Just looking down there, they've got guys running all over the place. You see Lamont Wade after a couple seconds turn around to call for a timeout because they had twelve guys on the field. You see James Franklin doing the same thing as the as the penalty flags flying in for twelve guys on the field. Um, they did give Penn State the timeout, so they were able to get out of it there. But it's stuff like that. I mean. All these little things that we nitpick, right? Dropped picks, things, you know, things you're burning a timeout in that scenario. And I mean, they ended up scoring the next play anyway, but that stuff can come back to bite you when your margin of error shrinks, like I'm expecting it will this weekend. And then you turn around on the flip side of that on the following drive. So Penn State burns a timeout there for the defense. The offense almost had to delay a game penalty and had to burn one there. It was like, again, the sense of urgency that we heard about that lacked at Minnesota, I am a little more inclined to understand it there because you're playing on the road, there's noise, but in front of your home crowd, like I don't I don't know what I guess what is taking them so long to get some of these calls in. I mean, I understand it's a lot of check with me kind of stuff. Ricky Ronnie's upstairs, but that process has got to get sped up because it feels tentative. Yeah, you know, their performance in the Minnesota game felt tentative, whereas Minnesota came out and, and looked like the far more aggressive team that kind of just took it to Penn State and dictated the flow of the game. And just feels like that's kind of what the offense has been for Penn State. They're inconsistent. You know, they do hit some big plays, but without KJ Hamler, you really doubt their ability to make big plays. And you know, the running game has been inconsistent. We finally showed up on Saturday as kind of a more consistent unit, even without Noah Kane, but. It's just in general, they they feel a little tentative, inconsistent, struggle to get into rhythm, kind of identityless. And I don't want to just you know make it sound like we're completely um, you know pouring it on the offense with criticism because they did you know they scored thirty four points in this game and you know they had opportunities to to beat Minnesota as well, just missed some plays. So it's not like the offense has been terrible. Like I think they're, they're like the offense play mark for sure. I mean, it, yeah, the offensive performance has been overstated in terms of being like bad they're averaging 36.8 yeah. points per game this year they, they've done enough to to almost enough to win every game <laughs> last week they were like one play away from doing it but it is does does, does feel tentative and, and inconsistent for sure and it's that great to elite jump matt i think i there mean you, you look <laughs> at you it it's State like, week. Okay, yeah it's like i mean they're they're a great you look at it right now there are spurts where they look like a great offense, right? Where they can get things going. Sean Clifford's been tremendous with his legs. You see him run for the big touchdown. You see Journey Brown, who's been highly effective, which great storyline there for that guy. Obviously, he's not the highly ranked recruit of that position group, and he's the guy who's taken hold of that job and done a really tremendous job with it. But again, this receiving core beyond Hamler it's got to step it up. And, you know, you saw Dan Chisena get the start this past week. Daniel George was the second one in. Justin Shorter was the third guy in. So he's fallen from one to three. There was a point I felt like I wasn't even sure that Shorter played. Like it was that that kind of 
not what that you'd hope from your former five-star <laughs> receiver, top-ranked receiver in the country in his class. I mean, it, to me, it's it's stuff like that where they can't get these big-bodied receivers going. And we saw it last year with Jawan Johnson. I get it. Pat Fryermuth has been tremendous, huge part of your offense. They came out, they ran the ball, but you've got to have some other guys who can make plays, especially if Hamler maybe can't go. And we'll see on that. Now, Hamler was, he was not on the sideline after he got hurt late in the first quarter. Uh, So he presumably was in the locker room for the rest of the game. But I did catch them as they were coming off the field through the tunnel. He was there dancing around, very hyped up, waiting to celebrate with Pat Fryermuth, with Sean Clifford, with the rest of the team. That's a good sign. However, uh, James Franklin said afterward they were pretty hopeful that they'd have Hamler this week. I always, again, I'm skeptical. That's my job. Um, It's my job, my responsibility to question everything. I do not know uh, what happened to KJ Hamler in terms of if it's a concussion, if it's not a concussion. Um, I do know in the past when players (laughs) players in the past have had concussions, uh, they've spent the second half in the locker room, not on the sideline. So perhaps we're we're not off base with that. Um, Keep in mind, he got hit last year, the targeting penalty against Ohio State. Again, presumably was a concussion. Uh, so should this past week have been a concussion? Again, we don't know. You got to wonder the protocol there. Is that something that he can pass in a week? Um, that to me is a big question. Now, yeah, they say he's pretty hopeful, but they were also pretty hopeful that Noah Kane was going to be okay in play, and we haven't seen Kane in three weeks. So... Again, cautiously optimistic, I'm sure, and they're never going to tip their hands on these things, but this is the game where you have to have K.J. Hamler. And watching him on the sideline after he got hurt, I mean, he was going in the injury tent with his helmet, came out without the helmet, and he was ticked. I mean, he was very animated, more so than usual, talking to the trainers. Uh, I saw him go over to the railing and motion for his dad to come down. I mean, he wanted to be in that game, and obviously couldn't be they wouldn't let him be in that game and hey that's that's why you have people whose job it is to protect these players from themselves uh so you have to see but i do wonder matt what the availability is for noah kane because while journey bound's been incredible i'm not saying it because of that he warmed up he seemed closer this week right well i he warmed up last week they said he was 90 percent and could have played against minnesota but they didn't feel like playing him because they had guys who were 100 Okay, so you give him more time. He did do more warm-ups this week. Uh, against Minnesota, he didn't run any pass patterns. This week he did. But then he still didn't play. So maybe all along the plan was to try to get him as healthy as you could for Ohio State, knowing that you have these other guys that you really like that you want to use. Uh, so I'm curious about that. But now you've got a freshman who hasn't touched the ball in a game in a few weeks, and you wonder about ball security. But I'm not saying this as... Journey Brown should absolutely get the start again this week, whether Noah Kane's healthy or not. I mean, Brown right now at least deserves to get the start based off of what he's done the last two weeks. Um, If you have Noah Kane, great for short yardage, absolutely. But right now, Journey's playing at a high level, um, and not having a guy for a few weeks, you got to wonder, Matt, ball security, I'd be a little hesitant. But again, I'm going to disagree with you. Kane's been good. I think Noah Kane... I don't know. I, I think would you give him the start? No, I wouldn't start him. I mean, I, I Journey Brown's mm-hmm. you know averaging six yards per carry is you know two hundred yard games in a row. But I I wouldn't be if if Noah Kane is healthy and ready to play. You I'm play not. Him. I wouldn't be worried. He's he's good to go. You play him. 
Yeah, he's had a few weeks off, but that happens. So uh, I'm I just saying, be, man, I'd be a little we'll hesitant see. with it, but uh, I do. Th- I mean, absolutely. If he's healthy, you play him. I mean, there's no, yeah, there's no scenario where you don't. I even would have said against Minnesota, if he's 90% and you felt good about it and he felt comfortable with it, the family felt okay with it, you could have played him then. Um, I, I just thought it was curious. Well, we just don't really know because they don't say. Well, right. <laughs> we we heard mean, the 90% part, but it's like, okay, what actually is the injury? It, we don't and know. And maybe he really wasn't 90%, right? Maybe it was more 70% last week and they just said 90 to try and throw everybody off. I mean, that's what, what makes this stuff kind of so interesting and difficult to decipher here um, is because it becomes a guessing game, right? When you don't know what the availability is, it leaves you open for speculation. So that's where we're at with that. Uh, Trent Gordon did dress and did warm up this week, but did not play. So we haven't seen him since the Michigan State game when he got hurt as well. So that's another one to keep an eye on as we kind of talk about the, the secondary and some of the issues that they've had. Uh, Cam Sullivan Brown, we haven't seen in at least a month, more than a month probably. Uh, and Donovan Johnson, we haven't seen since the pit game. His right arm is still in a sling. So again, at this point, um, I'd be surprised if we see him anytime soon, but Penn State hasn't uh, hasn't said anything injury-wise on those guys. Yeah, it's going to be a week of speculation about him where, I mean, that's... I, that's your I'm big skeptical one. of Penn State's chances against Ohio State in general. I'm really, really, really skeptical without Hamler because I just don't think they have they unless you know third receivers magically show up and become far better than they've been. They need KJ Hamler to win this game. They need everything. Uh, Ohio State just has too much firepower, and Ohio State has been significantly improved on defense, which mm-hmm. you know, we'll talk about later this week. Uh, so it's Hamler's been Penn State's best player, and it's so it's not not really going out on a limb to say that they need him to beat Ohio State, but. Uh, it's, you know, as, as important as of an injury as Penn State really can have, it feels like, I mean, obviously you know, quarterbacks is big, important but... in any position, but you know, the, just the way Hamler can change a game, the big playability uh, is, is and he's so your important. returner, you know? And, I... Yeah. We're just waiting for that to happen for a special teams touchdown too, which, uh, and last year against Ohio State, he had a, what, 92 yard touchdown on, yeah. on offense. Um, so we'll see. It's going to be a lot of, I think. Nervous, nervous speculation for for Penn State this week to to, to see if he is going to be ready to play. Uh, and if we he's don't know. not, I mean, you saw. I mean, Mac Hippenhammer got his biggest reps of the season uh, this past week, and that was Hippenhammer's first catch of the year. Matt, he had a fifteen yeah. yard reception. Um, I mean, it's Weston Carr still was not was not part of the receiving core. So if Hamler, and again, we don't know, but if he can't go. You're looking at potentially a trio of Dan Chisina, Matt Kippenhammer, and Jahan Dotson. That no, none of us would have guessed that in August. Congratulations to Pat Frymuth on his 25 targets. If that happens. yeah, I mean, I mean, if that's if that's how this thing goes, uh, you gotta. You're gonna to have to get insanely creative as an offense. And but we, we should we say we don't know what's gonna happen with that third receiver position, like. I, it's not like, yeah. you know, Chisena came in and started and wowed everybody and like locked down that it, job. It's like even reps for any of those guys those could start guys. for all we know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like you look at him and, you know, you've got Daniel George, who's that big body guy you, who you want to get involved. You got Shorter, who looks the part, but hasn't put it together. And then you've got Chisena, the former walk on, who's got the speed, but hasn't been able to come down with some of these big shot plays when he's been targeted. So. 
I mean, honestly, you could probably pick names out of a hat for that spot and start somebody. Um, maybe you go back to shorter and you base it on potential and, you know, you think the upside's there. If you can get him involved with some underneath routes early to get him some confidence, because that's the one thing that Penn State, that James Franklin said last week was, we still have all the confidence in the world in these guys. We just have to get them going earlier in the game. Well, they didn't do that against Indiana. And so now, to me, you've got guys who you've got to keep building up their confidence, and that's what I thought Indiana could have been about for some of those guys, and it ended up not being that. So They tried to do it with Minnesota. I mean, they yeah. went to oh, yeah, early, they tried. the drop and then the, the underthrow on the, on, the long, on the long pass by Clifford. So mm-hmm. just hasn't. It just hasn't worked, um, and it's it, it's baffling too because you look at you know the potential production that they could get out of that spot, and you you look back to Jawan Johnson last year, and it's like, what is it with that one position that they just can't get it together? Um, to me, it's, it's just weird. It's it's a combination of things. It's like you said, some of the underthrows. It's certainly drop passes. Uh, but if ever there was a time for these guys to step up, Matt. Crazy things have happened in these Penn State Ohio State games. Um, I I don't know, but if you're Penn State and if you get Noah Kane back, certainly helps you. But again, KJ Hamler, that's the big that's the big part here. That's the big X factor for sure. Well, as we wrap up Indiana here, Penn State beat Indiana thirty four to twenty seven at nine and one overall, six and one in the Big Ten. Which again, I it's been a strange season. I feel like in that. It's been a lot of these types of games where it wasn't the most convincing or impressive win, but they won, and the opponent, like Indiana, is better than we anticipated. Just like Pitt's actually 7-3 and three right now. You know, Iowa's pretty good. Michigan's certainly better than they were in September. So you add it all up, and again, this is a better-than-expected season with record-wise. They, they are ahead of schedule in that respect. Absolutely. And next week is not officially for the Big Ten East title, but it might as well be. Um, and... That, so every every goal is still there. Penn State's in the top ten. It's just it's, obviously the performance is going to have to be much 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 sharper to beat Ohio State, unless Ohio State unexpectedly falls flat, which they to be fair they have been known to do at times, except yeah. that's been on the road the last couple of years. Uh, but before we, as we wrap up Penn State Indiana, we'll talk more about Ohio State later this week. Audrey, why don't you uh, explain what your experience on Sunday, which was a little bit different? Yeah, not just watching rewatching the Indiana game because of course I did that. For upon further review, um, but I had a ticket to the test screening for the Iron Lions film. So that's, I mentioned it on here. We had Michael Motti on a couple weeks ago as our special guest. And so this was a test screening in State College at the State Theater. And I believe they did one on Friday as well. I think Sandy Barber might have seen it already at this point. Uh, but Michael Motti was there. Matt McGloin was there. Jordan Hill. Michael Zordich. Uh, so many key figures and key players on that team. And so they played it, you know, played the movie in the state theater. The theater was sold out. Apparently they sold out in like 36 hours. So obviously a lot of interest. Um, They're still working on a date for when this thing is going to be finalized and shown to everyone. Uh, But what the product that they showed yesterday was about, I want to say an hour and 56 minutes. So pretty long. And there were some interesting nuggets that I found throughout the film. Just things that, you know, I lived it. I covered it. I know, Matt, you you were here for it. You followed it very closely. Um, one of the things that stood out to me, and I thought 
the film overall was really well done. Uh, I thought it was pretty captivating. Again, even as somebody who's been around it, there were things that I took away from it. Like, for example, uh, they did get Silas Red on camera, and he agreed to do an interview with them. Uh, and in the interview, I mean, Red breaks down crying and says that, you know, he isn't sure if he, if he made the right decision by leaving. He doesn't know, but that originally he didn't want to leave and he wasn't planning on transferring. But then USC came calling and it was pretty tempting just because he didn't know, you know, what the future held at Penn State. And within that, that clip, which I thought was one of the most interesting, most powerful parts of the film, he said that, you know, he goes, what people didn't realize was I was close to transferring at the end of the season uh, after Paterno was fired because he felt that the university had wronged Paterno and that that didn't sit well with Silas. So you kind of couple all these things together and it's an interesting what if. Uh, another thing I didn't realize, I remembered hearing and writing about so many of the stories of these guys who were getting in cars when pretty much free agency hit and these, you know, anybody could transfer anywhere without any repercussions. And Illinois was here recruiting on Penn State's campus. Uh, Tim Beckman, we all remember that. But during that, that time, one of the cars included Anthony Zettel and Jesse James, and they were going to Michigan State. And Mike Motti called him as they were in the car and basically said to him, like, hey, turn around. Like, you can't do this. We need you. <laughs> and uh, in the film, Motti said, like, I didn't expect that they'd turn right around, but they did. He's like, I think they were a little bit scared. So they came <laughs> back to campus. And, you know, Bill O'Brien, as you'd expect, was really honest in the film, very open with it, and said that, you know, he just tried to be as transparent as he could with the players and tell them, like, listen, we don't know what's going to happen here, but if you want to leave, you have the option, but if you want to stay, you'll be remembered forever. And um, one of the, the moments with O'Brien, you know, you look at it and when they were trying to determine how long they should give these guys to make up their minds, because of course that was kind of the under, maybe the underreported or undercovered part of that you can transfer policy was that the deadline was so extended on it. It wasn't like you could just be like, okay, well, the, you know, it's July 30th or whatever. You have to make a decision by then. And so Bill O'Brien wanted to give the players a deadline and say, hey, the season's starting, either you're in or you're out. Uh, and Zordich went to him and said, like, coach, guys are really jumpy right now. Uh, I don't think we should give them a deadline because if we do, I think you're going to freak people out and they might leave. And so sure enough, they didn't have a deadline. And that was kind of just one of those things that, you know, you look back at now and say, wow, that was, you know, the leadership was certainly incredible with that group. Uh, still is. I mean, that's why you see the 2012 hanging there in Beaver Stadium. But I think fans are really going to enjoy the film when it comes out. Because again, there are little things like that that you can pick up on throughout it. I mean, they go through pretty much every game that season. And they, you know, obviously the Illinois game was such a big part of that and how they were so fed up with Tim Beckman, which we knew that, we lived that. Um, but to get, you know, all the major voices that they got for the film, I think makes it even more, even more strong, even more impactful. But it was a big, it was a big event yesterday, man. I mean, the state theater was packed. Everybody wanted to, to see it. A lot of the players uh, who were in the film, their parents came to see it and stuff. So it was a big to do. And uh, we'll be sure to pass along more information about it when we know, you know, exactly when it's going to come out, when it's going to be shown. 
But yeah, I think it's something uh, people are going to enjoy. I'm looking forward to seeing it from uh, your explanation there. So we'll certainly be on the lookout for that and more details to come. That will do it for us here on the Monday edition of Dear Old State. We will be back on Thursday. Uh, Athletic Ohio State reporter and our former colleague at, at the Daily Collegian at Penn State, Bill Landis, will join us to talk That'll Penn be State, fun. Ohio State. Third consecutive year, it's a matchup of top 10 teams. And obviously, you know, as we said, everything's on the line. So enjoy Ohio State week, Audrey. And uh, Oh, I look <laughs> I hope forward everybody to it. else enjoys the anticipation. Uh, we thank you to for listening to Dear Old State. Please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. And the Thursday edition will be back on the Athletic app, subscribers only. So uh, please join us then for Penn State, Ohio State preview on Thursday. And thank you for listening to Dear Old State.